footage we still have a little bit of a wobbly going on about Nadal winning Roland Garros oh. now that he is a title winner on the claim. How did I know this is where you were going to start this week? I was, ever since he won the title in Barcelona, I was wondering what my defence, my wobble would be. And did I, did I wobble too soon? Is that a thing? And actually, on Match Point, got in touch on Twitter and said, not happy with your lack of faith in Nadal, which I... I I don't know. I, st- I still, I'm not wobbling as much, but I've still got a little wobble. I think I still need to see Dominic team return to action because... Ah, oh, so it's all on team, is it? Well, it's not all on team, but I, I still think there's something not quite there with Nadal, right? Maybe I'm just saying this stuff. Yeah, but like, what, how, how much Nadal needs to be there to win? 60%, 70%? 80, I don't know. It's definitely getting higher as team gets better and now potentially sits past doing well. But ultimately, you don't need 100% Nadal for him to win Roland Garros. No, you don't. And he was so good last year. So good that I tipped him to win it as soon as he just lifted the trophy. I was like, yeah, I was going to get it in six months' time. Um, Did I jump too soon? Was I swayed? Yes. Yes. Possibly a little bit. Would I? (laughs) Am I going to... Did I, last week, did I say I was actually going to pick someone else to win Roland Garros, or was I just wobbling? Oh no, I think you were just wobbling. I didn't make a state. I didn't make a big statement, did I? Like, no, but he's I not no no uh, no. You were far? just you were just thinking that it might not happen. I if you said to me, put your house on him winning Roland Garros, I don't think I would. Ah, interesting. But would I put some? Not my family, but something. I just. I, I don't know. I'm still not 100% convinced. I think I'm not. I just not 100% convinced. Yeah, which, which is I'm, which is yeah. fair enough, I suppose. I just think that it's you're just being too too wobbly on it. You need to be more solid. This happens all the time. Oh, yeah. And look, Sitspass came I through know. and won Monte Carlo, and I everyone know. was thinking, oh, maybe he's going to win Roland Garros before Team does because Team wasn't there, and blah 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 blah. And then bang, Barcelona. Nadal beats Sitsipas in quite a thrilling match, I think. I was a little bit busy because it overran with our final. I was on <laughs> Belgrade, so I wasn't able to watch it live. But I, I caught up with it and, uh, yeah, that close to beating him and still couldn't do it. That's the thing, isn't it? It's about the big moments, especially when it comes to slams. Sitsipas was that close. Match point and could not beat him to win the title in Barcelona. So no chance, no chance at Roland Garros. Yep, but you've still got to throw in a Djokovic who can do it. And I know Federer's playing Roland Garros. I'm not necessarily going to throw him into the conversation, but Dominic Thiem, who's crossed the Grand Slam, winner's finished. And I know Roland Garros is a very different beast, but there are still people who can do it. Oh, I don't know. I feel like this is a very lame argument on my <laughs> side. You know, I think I should just say he's, <laughs> I think I should just say he's going to win it. But that, that match, I mean, the length of that match, I couldn't watch it all. I kept, um, I was out with the, the children and I kept looking at my phone. It was still going. And then I looked at your match. It was still going. And I thought well, they'd definitely be finished by now. And they were still yeah. going. I mean, it was <laughs> it was incredible, the lengths of these two. So in the end, I sort of said, I've, I've got to watch it. Because I was looking just at the score ticking over. And at this point, I thought, I've actually got to watch mm. them because this is, this is insane. So I found a quiet corner and one of my little ones was like, Mummy, are you watching tennis? And I said, oh, it's, it's work. And he said, but you're not working this week. And I said, no, this is this is for the next tournament. I have to watch this. But do you? And I mean, all these questions. <laughs> so I did manage to catch the end of Barcelona. 
But I didn't see any of your final. I mean, I, I just saw the score. Yeah, well, I, after the semi-final where Karatsev beat Djokovic, which was awesome, by the way. I mean, amazing. once again, amazing. Djokovic was not playing at his absolute best because Djokovic would win. Like, just that's how it is. He's the best player in the world. But at, hit, at the level that he was producing... It is unbelievable. Like, well, not unbelievable, but it is so, so impressive that Karatsev beat him because he, apart from the first set where they were both a bit ropey, to be honest, second and third sets, he was really, really trying. He was so desperate to win. He's, of course, at home in Belgrade and it was such a high quality match. So we had that in the semifinals and we, it was uh, three hours and 20 something minutes. Well, let me ask you about that semifinal. What did Karatsev, you said Djokovic wasn't at his best, but what, did, I mean, Kratsev saved like 23 break points against Djokovic, but what did, how did he get the better of Djokovic? What was, what was he doing to finally cross the finish line? Or was it Djokovic, maybe the pressure of being in Belgrade, maybe the fact it wasn't his best day. So what was the kind of split between who was doing what? Well, it was really just um, Karatsev being Karatsev, what we've seen from him all year. I mean, <laughs> nailing serves, I mean, smothering returns. I mean, the 23 break points were not... Uh, gifted in any way by Djokovic. I mean, Djokovic played well on those points. It was just Karatsev always coming up with really good serves. And um, yeah, I mean, it was Karatsev being more aggressive ultimately and just it all paying off. I mean, the backhand's down the line. I mean, it, it just had a bit of everything. You know, it wasn't a comfortable match for either player. There was a lot of tension and a lot of nerves from Karatsev at the beginning. It took him quite a while to settle. Um, but then once things really started heating up, it was so, so good. I mean, great baseline tennis ultimately and some screaming passing shots from from Djokovic but I mean he was pumped up as I say like he was he was locked in engaged desperate to win but that was three hours and 20 something minutes and it was the long and we were giving it the big this is the longest match of the year and Djokovic is out and all this sort of stuff and then 24 hours later Tsitsipas and Nadal beat us with their <laughs> with their epic final we couldn't believe it I mean they started an hour before our final and they finished after our final finish. And ours was three sets. It wasn't short, <laughs> which was Karatsev and Berrettini. And Berrettini's the one who took the title. Was Karatsev spent by the final? Or is Berrettini just getting over the injury that scuppered him in Australia and getting back to form? Both. Karatsev was pretty toast. I mean, he was he was desperately trying to not show it. And it wasn't obvious. But you could just tell the footwork wasn't where it normally is. And, you know, it was a, an epic match against uh, Djokovic and very very physical it really was a, a physical beast um, uh, but Berrettini looked great looked really really good and I think it's yeah I mean look he's a top 10 player and he showed large long passages of play of him being a top 10 player I think he's not quite at the consistency he'd like to be at uh, to maintain his level in the top 10, his ranking in the top 10. He needs to just be able to produce and be a bit more clinical. But he's been out since the Australian Open with that stomach injury. Uh, and he wasn't really sure how he was going to fare. And he was he won his first match and he was delighted just to get a win on the board. And I think he was a bit nervous. He didn't know how hard he could serve. And then he just got better and better. So, I mean, both Karatsev and Berrettini. Uh, I would say you've got to watch out for Karatsev in 2021, but it's a bit late for that really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could, I don't think. I mean, I was just looking at the live rankings. He's twenty-seven, which is obviously a career high for the Russian. And I believe he pulled out of Munich, which I kind of don't blame him. But I, I don't. Know, if you were in his his shoes, 
because this is all new to him, would you just want to, it's like a kid in a toy shop. Would you just want to grab everything, do everything and, and be everywhere? It's now quite um, uh, a very important stage for him and that he's got to plan things and be careful. Or if you were him and his team, you'd say, just do it. You never probably thought you'd be here. Just do every single thing you can while you've got this ranking. Well, I can tell you what they are actually doing. I mean, I would probably, it, I mean, it depends how much faith you have in your ability. Like, do you think you're just having a blinder or do you think this is genuinely your new level now? And I think after yeah. the Australian Open, he thought, this is just my level now. I've been playing like this through 2020 because he was playing like that. He just wasn't at the level. He was playing like that at challenger level and being incredibly successful. Um, and he just had to get his ranking to the point. It just takes a while and then was there. But of course, it is quite late on in his career. It is an incredible story. Um, so I would, yeah, you've got to make that call on how <laughs> how long you think you're going to hang around at a certain ranking. Um, but for him and his agent... They've said no to all the clothing deals and everything he's been offered because they've said, we'll wait until he's in the top 20, top 10 before we sign some much better deals. So they have had absolutely no thought that this was a flash in the pan. And he, um, yeah, I, I just, I'm really pleased that he has been able to have the time to back it up because to then win in Dubai, picking up the wins that he's picked up and then to get to the final and he beat Djokovic, Djokovic playing pretty well, I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, all of those things been together. It's like, yeah, he's just a real quality, quality player and he's going to be around at the level for a long time. Does he have to have a come down? Does he, because a lot of people you speak to say, oh, the, the wheels have come off at some point. The wheels have to come on at some point, off at some point, because he's not used to being at this level. And he's pulled out of Munich because the guy was probably just shattered. But do they, do they, he's on this roller coaster. It's this amazing roller coaster, taking him around the world to tournaments he would have watched and wanted to be at. But can he just get through it? I mean, he, personality wise, you feel like he can navigate this and he's a bit older. We were talking about Dominic team last week. You know, this has come a little bit later. Maybe it's maybe it's better coming to him a little bit later. But do you expect the wheels to come off at some point? Do you know, I, I don't expect them to come off. I mean, it, it depends what you mean by that, really. Do I expect his progress to stagnate? Yeah, I do. Do I see him be number one in the world? No, I, I don't. Top five, probably not, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't top say... Top 10? Do you see him in the top 10? I wouldn't say top 10 is out of the question. I don't. I see him as a top 20 player. Wow. But I, 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 I don't think it's out of the question, but um, I wouldn't predict that. I would, I would think that he would be a top 20 player and then possibly have his rankings settle in the top 32. So being seeded at slams and settle between 20 and 30 for, you know, a good chunk of his career coming up which is amazing that's an incredible level to achieve absolutely I mean hey if he proves me wrong I'll be thrilled because he's such a great guy I mean it's been an incredible story so yeah I, I just think he will essentially just keep he's ranked 27 at the moment and I think that 27 is actually a comfortable level for him and that's what we saw in Belgrade he just looked pretty comfortable like he was tired through a lot of it he was struggling through a lot of it but he just he just could find a way to win and so yeah no I don't think the wheels are going to come off and this time next year all the points are going to come off and he's going to end up being ranked 60 or 70 no I don't see it I assume it was a joint conversation because if not that's a lot of pressure to put on your player saying I'm not going to accept any deals because I want deals when you're on the top 20. You know, I, I'm hoping they've sat down together and said, 
I agree with this, this is the right thing. Because if not, that's an awful lot of pressure. This is, you're at the highest you've ever been in your life. Offers, I'm sure, are coming. I'm sure there are phone calls every day from people wanting to be part of this journey. And your agent is saying, no, we're not considering. Because if the wheels did come off and he suddenly shot down, the money he could have made will suddenly be, uh, I, it, it's quite risky. What if he suddenly gets injured? I, I, you you take chances in your career, but it, it feels, I don't know, quite... Is it quite risky that they are holding off for as long as they're holding off? Because anything could happen at any time. Well, of course, it is more of a risk, right, to wait and not take what is on the table. Yeah. Um, At least something. Take one deal. It doesn't have to be everything. Yeah. Like, I don't know, take a shoe deal or take a hacket deal. Don't take all the deals. Maybe you should do something. hope so. Um, And then leave the sort of the main things, the kit sponsors and maybe racket sponsors uh, to see. But, I mean, yeah, he's... As I say, there's no, you know, you're watching him and he's not sort of roaring away and and just you know, playing. He's not playing above himself. Like he's just, he's not. Like he just is, he's a top 30 player as far as I can see. And it just looks like he has been there for a long time. Um, and as, you know, he's been talking a lot about it because people often refer to challenger matches and the majority of people have not sat and watched challenger matches or challenger finals and he was saying that the level is essentially the same so if you if you were to go and you were to see challenger players practicing and tour players practicing even top 10 players practicing it's not a big difference at all i mean not not to sort of just your, your average fan you, you see them hitting forehands and backhands yeah. everything looks really really nice the difference comes in the adaptability in terms of tactics on the court uh it comes with playing big points well and we know that the top guys are just so good at that I mean apart from Djokovic on the 23 break points <laughs> uh, which was kind of extraordinary um, but you know in, in general they are just so good at executing under pressure and they are just so good at their worst level being very 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 good um, and you know really that's the only difference to be honest it's just that the level that challenges does swing around a little more you get a few more dips in matches uh, you get a few more bad matches here or there you get gifted maybe a couple of extra points in a tie break or whatever it might be and it, these are just, it's so so small but that is the difference between being 130 and 30 really those are the differences mm. because there's in general there isn't a huge, maybe a little bit on the athleticism as well but i think a lot okay. of that is about um, being at the the tour level, you sort of get used to that athleticism a little bit. I don't think that's much that they can do about, they can do anything about. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was saying, you know, look, you guys should go and watch some challenges, and yeah, I I totally agree. Really, I think people aren't pe- people think that the level of tennis just gets sort of steadily worse as you go down the rankings, and it's not really the case. There are sort of big jumps on the way up in in level, and then it sort of all hovers around the same. So, for example, if I you know, the difference between somebody ranked 130 and 190 is, I mean, for me, is nothing. Just probably some good draws or some better scheduling or, or just maybe playing a little bit better. There's just, there's barely any difference at all. So you're not, if you're ranked 190 and you're walking on to get somebody 130, you're not thinking, oh, they're ranked so much higher than me. They must be better than me. No, not, not at all. You're basically, you're in the same sort of bracket. The problem is you, you can get, you can get stuck there, can't you? You can get stuck at a certain ranking and you're sort of going round and round. And I guess the hardest thing is to, is, is to get those points and just to stick your head above the parapet and get yourself onto the next level. They're all trying to sort of jump out of this level and jump onto the next one. 
Yeah, there's too many people for the, the amount of spots in a Grand Slam. That's how it is. Um, so everybody's sort of fighting for them. And then with the men's uh, schedule, I have talked about this before, but with the uh, larger focus on ATP challenges, it means that you get a lot more movement between those who are ranked 180 and 60 for example people can move up and down the rankings you can be 60 based off of challenges alone with with the women that's not really possible it's much more focused on the tour events and tour qualifying uh, than it is with the say uh, 100k events the 125k's have started coming in but it's not the same system as as the men so you have a lot less movement between sort of 60 and 150 and you wouldn't really be ranked 60 unless you'd consistently been winning some matches on the tour that it just doesn't really happen as much whereas in the men's you could be ranked 60 purely on ATP challenges if you've been really successful and yeah. rightly so like and rightly so because the level is so high now normally when we do this it's kind of laptop to laptop and we just call each other on FaceTime or something but I got a little message saying can we do it can we do it on our phone today why are we doing it on our phones today, Naomi? <laughs> I broke my laptop. How did I? I didn't think it was possible. I, phones, I get. You can drop them, smash them. Children can get hold of them. All sorts of things happens with phone. But how do you break a laptop? Well, I tell you what we'll do it is submerging it in water. Right. Um, now, your child <laughs> isn't old enough to be blamed for submerging your laptop in water. So you've got to take this one. What were you doing? How, what? Oh, oh, oh. It's, it's a tragic tale. Like <laughs> toilets say. can fall. Uh, sorry, phones can fall in toilets. You lean over, it falls off. They can fall in a sink and a bath. Yeah. Please yeah. tell me your laptop didn't fall in the toilet. No, no, no. That would be much more entertaining though. Uh, no, I was getting out of my car. I had my laptop in a canvas bag that was on my back. Oh. Um, so there was no protection on it apart from the canvas bag. And then basically, I mean, it just sounds really overly complicated and elaborate, <laughs> like I'm making this up and I'm not. Um, but the string from the bag basically caught um, the a water bottle, which was in my like cup holder in the car, pulled it behind me onto the seat as I was trying to get out. And then the... That sort of pulled me back. So I landed on the water bottle, popped it open, and then all the water was going onto my back. And as my normal reaction is, I just sort of sat there and was just like, well, that's brilliant, isn't it? I'm now just sitting in a pool of water, about to go to work. And uh, didn't realise that obviously I had my laptop in my bag and it was just sitting in a few inches of, the, the end of it was just sitting in a few inches of water, so... I d- that, that'll I'm, do it I'm not even sure I followed that I don't know if anyone listening followed <laughs> that how that is the that is like the most complicated chain of events yeah to end up with your laptop in a pool of what I thought you were going to say when you started off that it, it fell out the back and there was a puddle on the floor or something but how on earth does all that happen to end up with you sitting in a puddle of water in your car <laughs> yeah I mean basically I sat on a bottle of water and it popped the top off and then that, that <laughs> I just so is I it, mean I, is it completely dead Gone. Yes, yes. Don't they say that you should put you should put it in rice? Have you heard this? Uh, yes, I have heard this. I've also just realised I don't know how I'm going to edit this part. <laughs> I have to figure that out. <laughs> well, if you're waiting for me to do it, it's going to take a while because when it comes to technology, no, I don't submerge my technology in water. <laughs> but um, I'm like a sort of 90 year old person. Apologies to any 90 year olds listening who are great with technology, but I'm 
I'm almost like worse than my mother with technology. But you put it put it in rice and it soaks out all the water. Right. Yeah. It draws the water out. Yeah, but I think the the water had already like burned bits of the circuit. Honestly, I appreciate the effort, <laughs> but it's toast. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I was trying to get hold of my friend the other day and she's always on WhatsApp, always, whatever time, night or day. And I couldn't get hold of her. I thought well, something's happened here. So then I sent her a text message and she immediately called me and said that her phone, she just dropped it down the toilet. I mean, how many times people drop phones down the toilet? I still don't understand how you can be in a position to drop it down a toilet. Like, where is it to drop Have it down the toilet? Have you never done it? No, no one. Have you done it? I did it once when I was like a teenager, but no. not. Since where then. is the... What, but that was when it didn't really the... affect it. It was the old sort of Nokia 3210s that were absolute bricks. So it just got it out, dried it out, and it was fine. I just don't understand where all these phones are to end up in the toilet. But she put it in rice, soaked it all out, and it's kind of working again. But I have to say, the next time I went to the toilet, and I think my phone was in my jacket, I did hold on to it as I, as I leant over because I thought I was suddenly aware of it. But no, no, I've never dropped it. I've never dropped it. Well, I've never had whatever happened to you with that chain of events and I've never dropped it in a toilet. So that's good, mm. isn't it? It's nice. Um, that's a great effort. It's all right. Um, tennis wise, Djokovic has pulled out of Madrid. Yeah. That came through today. Now there's Belgrade too, isn't there, that he's going to be playing in it a little bit later for Roland Garros. Yes. That right? That's a yeah. new, new tournament slotting into the extra week after Roland Garros pushback. Now I think, do you think, and, and he said at the time, actually when he lost to Karatsev that, He's I'm tired of making plans because one thing I think everyone's realised in the world as it starts to open up, it's a lot more complicated getting from A to B if if you're travelling. It's, you know, quarantine and, and testing and leaving the right amount of time and all, which does make... But do you think that going forward with the enforced break for COVID and now things are a little bit difficult, that we're going to see more of the top players being a bit more selective with some of the events that they take, whether it's age covid or whatever it be that we might see a little bit more of this yeah i think it's definitely all the rage i think it's been pretty much put forward by two of the greatest players of all time i think they're the ones who did it first which would be serena and roger yeah yeah and it has been shown to work the longevity of their careers has been absolutely outstanding uh, you know, their success and achievements have not been affected by it at all. They are two people who can just pick up and play. But as you get older, that does become easier to a point. It now becomes harder for them again once you get into sort of late 30s. And absolutely, I think people are looking at, you know, the likes of Andy Murray and of possibly Nadal with his with his knees and injuries there that they might have overtrained, overplayed. Um and yeah, I just think that's the new thing. Osaka's doing it now, isn't she? She's being very selective, just really playing the big events and the ones that she wants to. Uh, Andrescu is, but possibly for other reasons. <laughs> she's she's the most selective going. Uh, no, I'm I'm I obviously am joking. I, I do feel bad for her with all of her injuries, but um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think people are wanting to play a, a, a lighter schedule. I can tell you what, one person who's not doing it is Ash Barty. She said, "Right, we're going on the road." coach and uh you know off we go like we're, we're going to do this properly because they can't go back to australia for such a long time so she's like if we're doing this properly we're doing this properly and i'm going to clean up and <laughs> my word is she doing well yeah and, and she had effectively a year out and for covid reasons not be able to train with craig ties but as you say they, they've got their base 
and let's just go for it. And I remember speaking on the pod after Australia and it was more me than you saying that uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people looking at Ash Barty because obviously she held on to the number one saying, should she still be the number one? And boy, is she sort of, she's knocking that out the park. Absolutely with how she's playing. I mean, I think she's playing incredibly well at the moment. And as you say, I think she said, right, we're going to do this. And so let's just get stuck in and go about cleaning up wherever we enter. And 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 to the point, you know, we've got Simona Halep who's beaten by Irina Sabalenka as a massive win for Sabalenka in the in the Stuttgart semi-final. But, but Ash Barty, I mean, can you see her cleaning up going through the year? Can you see her going back and getting another Roland Garros title and then and seeing it through to Wimbledon? Yeah. Yeah, I really could. Who do I you mean, see are her biggest challenges, especially when it's easy for people to say Osaka, but Osaka said herself ahead of clay, look, I haven't played on it for, what, nearly two years, and I'm just going to see how it goes. Andreescu, now recovering from COVID, takes a lot of time out. We can sort of run through the others. We, I know Serena Williams recently um, put that she's just done a massive... Um, with Zena Garrison, who spent six weeks working on the clay with, with Zena Garrison. So who are you looking at as the main challenges for Barty with the form that she's in moving through this clay and grass swing? I think for the clay, yeah, I mean, you've got to put Osaka in the mix just because she knows how to win, but, you know, I don't think she's the favourite for the tournament. Um, I mean, of course, Halep, although, I mean, she she suffered that, that loss to Sabalenka you know, she's always in with a great shout on clay. She just moves so, so well. But the game's become just just more aggressive, I think, over over the last few years. And, and it's something that Halep yeah. has always had to sort of try and catch up with. And it every few years, it kind of pushes on again and again and again. And she, you know, she's always just trying to, trying to use her movement and maintain her levels of aggression as well. But absolutely, she's in there. And look, I actually think the threats are sort of all around. I mean, Kenin made the final last year. And did she reach the semis the year before? I mean, so that's great consistency for Roland Garros for... Kenin, um, you know, even, you know, Shontek, of course, defending champ. And we've had great runs from Von Drusova, Johanna Konta. I don't expect Konta to be in it because she just maybe hasn't been in the, the best form. But, you know, we have had these tremendous runs and these... The, so I think there are threats all around. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Barty goes out to somebody who we haven't got pinned as somebody who could potentially win the tournament but then maybe they will I don't know but you know Muguruza I mean come on Muguruza has been playing she's arguably one of the best players of the past couple of years I mean her rankings just not reflecting it because of the way the new rankings are working I mean she's been in fantastic form for such a long time so I think there are threats everywhere I I wouldn't be saying Barty is the outright favorite to win it but I mean with her form I mean you can't really not say that she is is the favorite but I mean, anyone. Yeah, Alina Svitolina's been playing some good tennis recently. And Muguruza in the live rankings, just looking, she's 10th. So she's, and then, as we said, it's it's been difficult for people to move around. But, you know, back up into the top 10, former world number one. It's weird, when we have these conversations, I always forget about Garbini Muguruza, despite the form that she's been in. And then you move on to the grass. And who, for you, are the... Is it the usual that the, the Petra Kvitovas and the Muguruthas, Serena Williams, when you head into what is now this sort of tiny, tiny little grass court season? Tiny. Yeah, the the champs, right? In Muguruza, I mean, even Halep, Serena, I think grass is a, a really good opportunity for her. So, 
Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, Shontek could play really well on the grass. Of course, Barty will play well on the grass. You never know with Osaga. If she if it just clicks into place, her, I mean, her game is great. I mean, her game works on grass. Yeah. There's nothing to say it doesn't work on grass. She's just not used to it. That's all. She just hasn't had time on, on the surface. But it's going to be interesting. It's been two years since we've played on the grass and no one would have been training on it. You know, you don't do that in off seasons or in the enforced break unless <laughs> it was people who were thinking Wimbledon was going to happen. Other than that, you would be on clay and hard, a combination of the two or picking one of the two for your off season. So there'll be a lot of players and a lot of top, top players that will have not set, set foot on grass for two years. Wow. God. Oh, we could see some interesting results. Now, as we're on the grass, Becca and Richard both got in touch via Twitter and Instagram confirming that they weren't loose facts from you last week and you were actually on the money with until 1922 the winner at Wimbledon only had to play the final there you go how about that see they see? Go, but you didn't see? know that yeah. before did you no I didn't I was I was I was astounded that that would be a thing and, and then you sort of questioned whether it was a thing and Becca and Richard confirmed that it indeed was great great I mean I think it's a really fascinating see? fact I mean it, it it sort of makes sense like that's what you won was the right to get back to the final but then all this stuff and we always talk about nowadays with the with the qualifiers um having a really good chance and being really dangerous in the draws I mean you just must have felt at such a disadvantage just be turning up to the final so undercooked like I'm here and everyone's like been plowing their way through round after round and you just rock up for the final yeah I know absolutely battle royale ridiculous but the, the bigger thing to talk about Wimbledon, from next year, there's going to be no middle Sunday. How how did you receive that news? Well, I mean, it's clearly positive and obviously the right thing to do. They are incredibly thorough with what they do. So I'm very excited for it. I think it's a really good opportunity to be playing on another weekend day, get more crowds in, get more engagement with fans because, you know, it's not on a Monday to Friday. Um but, you know, I think we'll miss it because it was something that was so unique about Wimbledon. That's when I did my washing. Yeah, no. that's, when I, that's, when I, that's when I did my washing. I reminded my family that I still existed because despite the fact I was based at home, I kind of wasn't there at all. No, if you go away for a tournament, they know you've gone away. So when I go to Roland Garros, I'm in a different country. She'll be back here. But Wimbledon, it's like I thought you were. So, yeah, I did my washing. Um, I saw my family. Um, had a bit of a breather. So that's, it's kind of, look, it, look, Roland Garros starts on a Sunday. Every year I'm like, that's weird. Starts yeah, they on have a Sunday, three Sundays. I know. <laughs> it's just, so we've now, so the, the only thing I think that will change, and I agree with you on all the reasons they're doing it, is Monday, that second Monday used to just be awesome because everything happened on that month so that will that will have to change because things will be spread out a little bit more like manic monday everything takes place on that monday yeah and i imagine there will be less incredible matches on the more outside courts i suppose i, I mean i'll never forget a magarutha kerber match when they were both in, in incredible form or out on court two it's just it's just unbelievable <laughs> there just is not enough room right but also, you've got to remember a few years down the line, and it is a few years down the line, it's not from 2022, um, Wimbledon will be much, much bigger because they've purchased the golf course. There are going to be more courts, there are going to be more show courts. Yeah, so yeah. it will be easier, I think, uh, to get those matches on on the the big stages. But I mean, now with having the 
the middle Sunday being played on, um, I suppose that won't matter so much. But yeah, I mean, there are some amazing matches and, you know, certain people always might feel like they get a little bit screwed over with it. But that's what happens when you have uh, so many superstars in the game to to try and accommodate yeah, and yeah. you know they're limited on the time that they can play in a day because the grass can only take so much and they can't play late can't do a, a, a night session like the US Open so you can't have more than a few matches on on center court like that's just that's just how how it goes so uh, now by splitting it it'll be um be really good and yeah it makes total financial sense the one thing I'm gonna miss is the the couple of middle Sundays that I have experienced where we've had to um, had to do them uh, it's just that flurry when it gets announced on like the Friday or something I remember my first time working with um, you guys on Five Live we had the middle Sunday and it's just everybody's just panicking of just like right we've all got to come in on, on I mean we're all there anyway I don't think it makes too much difference but uh, yeah I, I that I find kind of just really fun the energy about it and then you're there and it's Sunday and it's like it's the people's Sunday and it's just it just does have that vibe so of course I'm gonna miss it but uh it's clearly the right decision you know that remember I said that one of my little ones was starting kickboxing last week yes little samurais or something like that little massive success oh really massive success yeah came home was showing us the kick and the punching that he'd done he liked it a little swivel thing which is quite impressive for like a first lesson. The problem we then had was, and I look this after school club is a very new world to me, and stick with one child for now because then the other the other twin said, actually, I think I want to do it. Once he saw his brother doing spinning kicks in the kitchen, wow, he was like, I want to go, yeah, but there's no no places left. Oh dear, oh, and I, I even did the twin thing. I was like. They're never apart, <laughs> apart from that trial the other day. <laughs> I was like, you know, they really want to be with his brother, you know, just like I'm afraid because it's indoors and COVID restrictions and numbers. She's like, we can't. So I had to go back and I explained to twin number two. I'm very sorry. There's no places. Mum, wh- why not? Why didn't you book me in? I was like, oh, my word. So I have to keep doing the two drop offs mm. and she's put me on a waiting list, but I haven't got one in and I've got the same thing going with now football. We had to like do this rush to try and get into this after. I didn't know there was such a thing. As soon as you get an email that says, I don't know, dance or football or little samurai, you have to reply straight away or you don't get in. Uh, right. It's like, a, oh, it's, it's a it's elbows like, out sort of thing. Yeah. It's like a sale thing at a shop. You know, the first <laughs> 10 people who get in or you're not going to. And I didn't realize, I thought, you know, I could chat to my children. Do you fancy doing it? Let's talk about it. Will it work? But literally mother's going, if you don't sign up, you'll miss out. It, it's quite a, I didn't know you had to be so proactive. Right. So you, I guess the tactic is to just book it and then you can cancel and it can go somebody on the waiting list if you don't want to Yeah, because do one of my friends said, why are you having discussions with a five-year-old? Just do it. Because I like to talk to yeah. them first. Fair enough. Do you fancy it? Do you like it? Whereas they're like, why are you talking to them about it? Just say, I've signed you up for football. And if they really kick off, pull them out. So, yeah, yeah I've... My yeah, negotiating skills, they're, they're all wrong. So we're we are on the waiting list for football. One's not in Little Samurai. I genuinely don't know what's happening. Uh, one thing before we before we leave each other. Yes. Um, did you read the article by a friend of ours, Tumaini Kareol in The Guardian? About I did, yeah. wild cards. The absurdity of wild cards. Yeah, I did. 
Absolutely. It was, he gave many examples, but he used one of Petros Tsitsipas, who has had some wild cards this year. Thanks, I was about to say thanks largely, but thanks totally to his brother, Stefanos. Mm. Do you, do you think, it, do you think that should happen? Do you think nepotism, do you think it's it should happen and, and fair play? You know, it's almost like buy one, get one free. You know, you've got sits past the tournament. Oh, here comes the brother. Or do you think it's ridiculous and that should go to someone who is more deserving? I don't think that's a harsh thing to say because you look at rankings and there are people who are more deserving. Where do you fall on them? Yeah, I mean, the very nature of wildcards makes things unfair. And if you're from a nation where you don't get a lot of wild cards and you're not signed up with an agency that manages lots of tournaments and can get you wild cards, it it it, it's, it will feel very unfair. And I can completely understand those players being upset about it. But it's just how it works. It's a business and these tournaments are the ones that are putting up the money and they want spots to go to some home players most of the time. And I think that's at least nice that the majority of wild cards are not just sold off to, to players. They are yeah. for the home or local players, for example. I mean, in when I used to play out in the States, because the States is so big, they would have a certain amount of national wild cards and they'd have a local wild card. It had to be somebody from that state that would be playing in that tournament. And, you know, Look, it's a it's a free pass, isn't it? It's a free entry into a tournament, and you can un, you can argue that you know tennis has absolutely no barriers at all. You know, you don't have to be selected by somebody. You know that it 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 in terms of how tennis operates with the ranking system, it is probably one of the fairest sports there possibly is because, as I say, you don't have to impress a manager or be selected or whatever. You just have to get good and get to the tournaments. And I understand getting to the tournaments is tough. They're expensive. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it is a a very sort of, you know, your performance is just, um, you know, they, that that is what your ranking rewards ultimately but yeah I mean it's a bit it's a bit annoying I suppose when it goes to sort of brothers and sisters but again I mean these tournaments they're they're doing that for a reason um and I feel like they're putting hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes millions of dollars aside or paying that amount of money to put on the tournament and why not get themselves a couple of free spots they can give to who they want. I, I think you're right. I think, look, if I was the person who would have got that wild card but missed out because someone's brother or sister got it, I'd probably be thinking very differently and saying it's outrageous. But if your father happens... But is it not any? Is it not no different to the World Cup? Surely the, the hosting nation of the World Cup is automatically in the World Cup finals, right? Yes. Yeah. They just get a free place. They don't have to earn it. But they're spending billions on putting the World Cup on. Maybe I don't know if they spend billions or hundreds of millions or however much they do. And I think it's fair enough that their team can play. I think with that, though, you just know that the host nation will always get in. I guess the difference with wild cards, it's different tournaments and, and different people. And it's uh, I, I, there's part of me that does agree with you. If your father owns a couple of clay court tournaments in America then I'd, I'd be kind of annoyed if my dad didn't give me a wild card or the tournament didn't give me a wild card to get in when my family... Sounds like you're talking about the Navarros there. <laughs> Am I? Um, but, but, you know, it, it, that sort of... Uh, it doesn't... I don't look at that and think that's terrible. I think, well, fair enough, because they're sort of pumping all that money in. And if, if one thing he can get out is giving his daughter a chance, then 
I don't, but again, I'm not the player who's behind Navarro that would have got in if she hadn't got the wild card. Do you see what I mean? That, yeah. If I was that person, I'd be like, well, hang on a second. What is she? Th-? But then it's up to Navarro, it's up to Petros Sitsipas to make the most of their opportunity because otherwise they will stop getting the wild cards because they, they're being given the opportunity. But at some point they'll be like, well, you know, it's, I know in Sitsipas' case, I think it was Marseille, tournament director said, look, he, he wasn't taking much of a fee. So he wasn't taking that much of a fee, but Petros gets the wild card. It, we are a business, as you said, it all kind of works out nicely. But but surely after, and, and look, we talked about this in years gone by with the Brits at Wimbledon getting the wild cards and everyone's like, but they lost first round and was it worth it? But it's the home tournament. So I'm sort of, I found it a really fascinating piece by Timaini. And if anyone can find it, read it. But it's, I'm kind of, I think I can see both sides of it. Yeah, but I mean, what I would say with, Wimbledon is something that is a little bit overlooked is that they more than any other tournament I know go down the rankings list because they will give out the wild cards to some of the Brits they have eight to give in men's and eight to give in women's and they very often have some left over they give a few to Brits that they believe are playing at a good enough level and then they will give some to former champions for example who or people yeah. who have done incredibly well, but, you know, big, big names that are maybe injured or, and, and are coming back or, or haven't played for some time, of course. And then if they have any left over, they just go to the next entry. And they do, I mean, almost every year, if you are top seed in qualies, um, they'll have a few wildcard spots left and they'll just say, right, next person in, which I personally think is great because they yeah. could be trying to get the upper hand and get certain people in that they they want to get in and do do deals and stuff like a, a number of other tournaments do but but they don't they just uh yeah i i you know I, I mean they obviously do use the wild cards for for what what they want to an extent but they have they're under no sort of pressure to use all eight right they just say fine we'll give them to the next next but few if people. your dad owned madrid that's taking place now and the and the women's tournament started would you expect to get a wild card? Would you want one? Would you be disappointed in your dad if he didn't give you a wild card and he owns the tournament? Well, it depends how good you are, right? <laughs> That's the well. You, 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 oh, you, look, you'd have to be a prefer. <clears throat> you'd have to be a professional tennis player. I'm not saying if you just right, yeah, you know, okay. But if you're a professional <laughs> tennis player and and you're working hard, but you are nowhere near getting anywhere near qualifying for this event, but your dad owned the tournament, but you were a professional tennis player. Would you, you would expect it, surely, would you? Well, I mean, I always, you know, look, I, I work in British tennis where people do expect wild cards, particularly in the grass court season. And I try and I try and basically say that you, you're not, you don't, you're not owed them. You haven't earned them. Uh, they're an absolute privilege to get and you can't expect them. It doesn't matter how, what ranking you are. I like that. Right. On that note, I'm going to go and check my emails to see if they've been accepted into this after school club. I mean, this is tent stuff, literally tent stuff to see if they've if they've made <laughs> if they've made it. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is a, it's a whole new world. Well, I've got my fingers crossed for you and yeah. I'm going to be pretty tense as well because I've got to go and find some software to try and edit this oh yeah we didn't think about that did we right so (laughs) people might be listening to this or maybe this will never air at all because your computer's been submerged and then we will we're together but apart next week for madrid that's right isn't it yes yes we will record together in madrid if you've got a computer that works okay then Uh, (laughs) bye bye (laughs) 